0: Several years ago, two of my daughters were going to go on a camping trip with me and some of my friends, and we were really excited. It was in the fall. I would say it was probably September-ish. It was warm, uh, but uh, it was certainly camping weather. So we packed our things up into my truck, and uh, we took two canoes. We were going to go canoe camping over the weekend, and we were really excited about this. We went up to the Hiawassee River. We went as high as you can go there past Reliance, and we parked at the end, and we put our canoes into the river, and we went upriver, and I was in a canoe with my two daughters, and my two friends were were in their canoe, and uh, they made much better headway than than us. My girls were a little at the time, and we canoed up. It must have been an hour. It was a beautiful, sunshiny day, and uh, I remember just like it was yesterday. I was so excited. I love, I absolutely love camping. And I was looking forward to this, this weekend together. We, we came to a point where the river uh, came around a bend, and it, there was a large pool. And uh, this is a river. The Hiawassee River is a river. It's not a creek. Um, and, and it was a large pool, but it was blocked off by some rocks. We could not continue on. So we thought, well, this would be a nice time to take a break. We pushed our canoes to the side. We hopped up, hopped up on the rocks. And the water kind of made a waterfall as it came through right there. And so we were looking around thinking, well, how are we going to get our canoes past this point? And uh, one of my friends said to me, hey, Chris, let's jump in the water and float over the waterfall. Well, I'm a bit impetuous at times, and so uh, I had my life jacket on, and I I jumped into the water, and I started floating towards the edge. Um, I had this thought go through my mind. Maybe you should go to the bottom and check and see if it's okay down there. But I thought, this this waterfall is, you know, three or four feet tall. I can stand up in this. I have no need to worry about this. And as I approached the edge, as I floated to the edge, uh, I, th- I sensed a strange sensation. I felt the power of the river. It caused this unsettling feeling in my stomach as I approached the edge, but it was too late. I was in the current, and I went over the waterfall. As I went over, my left foot went into a hole that was in a rock on the side, and it pinned me at my knee. The force of the water was so powerful that it bent my body over. I was just folded in half like this, and my legs, my my one free leg was flopping, and my hands were flopping. You, You cannot imagine how powerful that water was. It occurred to me at that moment that the entire river channeled through this little slot. And what I thought was a waterfall was actually the force of the river bubbling, boiling through this little narrow uh, spot. The water was powerful. I was trapped. Initially, I didn't think, Chris, you're going to die here. I didn't think that. I just began trying to frantically get out. I began trying to put my foot down, but the water had gouged out the bottom of the river and there was nothing to put my foot on. I was hanging off my left knee and bent completely over. I was struggling to find something to get a hold of. And then thought came to my mind, is this it? I'd like to pray with you as we begin. Father in heaven, as we uh, contemplate a life or death issue in your word, Lord, help us to rightly divide the word of truth. Help us to be honest with ourselves. And may your spirit do its work in our life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like for you to open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 12. And we're going to begin in verse... Did I push that thing again? It's my nemesis. There it is. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 24. Now the message I have to share with you tonight is for every person in this room. Whether you're Baptist, whether you're Catholic, whether you're Pentecostal, whether you're Church of God, whether you're Church of God of Prophecy, uh, whether you're Independent Baptist, whether you're Seventh-day Adventist, this message is for you. In particular, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, this message is is for you. Matthew 12, verse uh, 24, actually 22, uh, then was brought to Jesus, one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, he could not speak, and Jesus healed him. In so much, the blind and dumb both spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed. I think I would be pretty amazed too. And they said, is not this the son of David, a reference to the Messiah? But when the Pharisees heard of it, they said, This fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. They said, This isn't the Messiah. This individual, Jesus, is actually doing this because of the power of Satan in his life. It's not God. It's Satan doing this. But they said it out of Jesus' hearing. But verse 25 says, And Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. Verse 28. And if I cast devils out by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come to you. Jesus was refuting their claims and he was asserting that the Spirit of God had come into their life by means of this miracle that had happened and the Spirit of God had come to them for the purpose of showing them that they could experience healing through Jesus as well. And then he says, but if I cast out devils by the kingdom of... Oh, I read that. Okay. And then verse 30. He that is not with me is against me and he that gathers not with me scatters abroad. Wherefore I say to you, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. Verse 32. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world nor in the world to come. So there's two points that we must have fixed in our minds 1 John 4, verse 8 and verse 16 both say that God is love. God is love, amen? Praise God. He is love. Not only that, but 1 Timothy 2, verse 4 says that God wants all the world to be saved. He is love and he's not willing that any should perish. We read right here in verse 31 that all manner of sin will be forgiven men. Now, 1 John 1, 9 kind of spells it out for us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God. So if we sin, whatever it is, if we confess it, it will be forgiven because God is faithful. So we see the remedy here. So if God is willing to forgive all manner of sin, evidently this must be a sin that is not confessed It's not repented of. It's not forsaken. So, two facts. One, it is a sin. And number two, it's an offense against the Holy Spirit. Would you agree? So, what is the work, then, of the Holy Spirit? Jesus tells us, uh, there's actually four particular works of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to look at those. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. So, the first work of the Holy Spirit is to teach us. The second work, howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. So, what is truth? Jesus gave a very clear definition of this in John 17 in His prayer. John 17 and verse 17 Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word. Is truth. So the question is: Would the Holy Spirit contradict the Bible? No, there's no way. The Holy Spirit came to reveal the word of truth. Now, you can't believe everything you hear. And so the scripture tells us in 1 John 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. You must try the spirits. And as you test them, you will identify this spirit is from God. How do we test the spirits? Isaiah 8, verse 20, to the law and to the testimony. If it speaks not according to this word, there is no light in it. We test the spirits by the word of God. That's how we identify if it's coming from God. So what is the next work the Holy Spirit will do? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient that I go it is expedient for you that I go away for if I go not away the comforter will not come unto you but if I depart I will send him to you and when he has come he will reprove the world of sin of righteousness and of judgment of sin the spirit will convict us of the sin in our life that's his job that's what he's come to do Chris you shouldn't have done that you shouldn't have said that you should have thought that you shouldn't have felt that How do I know it's the Spirit? Because the Word of God gives evidence that what He's saying is true in my life. Convict of sin. He also also convict of righteousness. He doesn't just convict us of the bad things in our life. He convicts us of the good things God wants to do in our life. Of the righteousness Jesus wants to live out within us. And also of judgment. He convicts us that this world is not all there is. That we will be accountable for the things that we do in our life. The Spirit will convict. So there's three things we've looked at so far. And we're going to look at the fourth one. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. The spirit unites. The spirit unites. These are the four works of the spirit. Okay. So uh, what are the four? We've gone through them. The first is the spirit will Teach. teach. Okay. The next he will guide into truth. The next he will convict. And the next he will unite. Linda, you were looking at your notes. (laughs) So uh, there are two things that we can do against the Holy Spirit. This tells us in Ephesians 4 and verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Grieve. When I'm speeding down the road and I see the blue lights behind me. I don't necessarily think the officer is grieving about what I did. As a matter of fact, he was probably bored out of his mind and he was grateful that I gave him something to do in the afternoon. (laughs) Indeed, he may be thinking, "Ah, my boss told me we have to get a few more people because we're not reaching budget. So he was probably a little happy that I was speeding so that he could make sure his budget was met. Uh, The Bible tells us that the spirit is grieved. We can grieve the Spirit through our actions. There's something else that we can do to the Spirit. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your Father did. We can resist the Holy Spirit. If he does these four things in our our life, if he's trying to teach us, we can resist. No, I don't want to know this. No, thank you. If he's trying to guide us into truth, we say, ah, I have enough. Thank you. I don't want any more. I appreciate that. But no, if he's convicting us of the sin in our life, we'll say, ah, I kind of like this. Please, not now. Don't don't convict me right now. If he's trying to encourage us to something better, we say, no, I have all I want. No, thank you. I don't want any more. If he's trying to remind us there is a judgment we'll face and we put it out of our minds, we resist the spirit in our life. And if he's trying to unite us with our brothers and sisters and we say, no, I'm just going to be by myself, thank you, I don't need you. Um, We can resist the spirit of God. Now it's true that God wants us to grow as a Christian. If at any point we stop, any tree that stops growing, it dies. I had this large maple tree in the front of my house. When we bought the home, we loved the maple tree. And we sit under the maple tree. And we enjoy the shade in the maple tree. But then one day I noticed that the ends of the branches stopped sprouting green leaves. They stopped. And then every year those branches fall off. And then, and then the leaves don't go quite as far. And each year the branches are slowly falling off. And this year I looked at it and I said, Faith, we're going to have to cut down our tree. It stopped growing. And it's that way in the Christian's life. When we stop growing, we start dying. Now, the only way we'll stop growing is if the price becomes too high. Whenever the price becomes too high, you will always stop growing. What is your price? What is the price you have set? I will go this far, but no farther. Resisting the Spirit. We're told in Genesis 6 verse 3, then the Lord said, my spirit will not strive with men forever. There is a point when the spirit stops striving with us. Why is that? When is that? How does that happen? I want to talk about two biblical individuals. One, the spirit was striving with them. And it took them a while, but they experienced freedom in in Jesus. And then another individual that the Spirit was striving with, and uh, they did not experience freedom in Jesus. The first is Abraham. God was leading Abraham into an experience of faith. He wanted Abraham to trust him, to walk by faith, and to go into a land that he had for him. And he promised him that he would become a father of many nations. And he believed that. And the scriptures tells us that through his faith he was made righteous. Not through his works, but through his faith. And as the years passed, he began to wonder, how is that going to happen? Sarah, how is that going to happen? Oh, they came up with a great plan. It's not Sarah, but it's this Egyptian slave. Hagar is the one. And through their own mind, they came up with a plan different than the the plan God had for them. And by works, They came up with an alternative scenario than what God had set forth, and that Ishmael. That was not the experience God had for them. So he brought them over this ground again. Trust me, I will take care of your life. I will provide for you. And they traveled because of a famine down to Egypt. And while they're down there, Pharaoh takes a shining to his wife. And he's deceptive about that and says, she's my sister. She was his half-sister. He failed again to trust God in the difficult experiences of life. God wanted victory for him. Now this is the way it is. God brings us up to an experience, and and we say, no, no, that's just too much. He brings us up to the experience again in a different way because he wants us to find victory. Oh, that's too much. Then he brings us up again, trying to get our attention because he loves us. Abraham was brought to the test of faith again. And this time in Genesis 22, he was told to take now your son. Now God didn't say just your son. He said your only son, the one that you loved. He made it clear, this is someone that's dear to you. Now take him up to the mountain and sacrifice him. God brought him to this experience of faith And it became stronger and stronger each time until the veil was taken off of his eyes and he saw that God will provide. But then there was another man named Pharaoh. God wanted to do mighty things. He wanted Pharaoh to know that he was God. He wanted to reach Pharaoh's heart. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. So we had the first plague. He turned water into blood. Pharaoh hardened his heart. He had the next plague. He brought frogs. Uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart. God was trying to reach him through each of these. Flies, lice, plagues in the livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and finally, death to all the firstborn. Pharaoh even then wasn't broken. His heart was still hard. It was resisting the moving of the spirit in his life to change him. And he committed suicide and went through the river. There was a man named Eugene Pauley and his wife, Beverly. They were having a meal together one evening. And Eugene uh, was sitting in a chair. And Beverly was putting together the meal and she, uh, she said, Hey, Matthew's going to be here shortly. Are you ready? And Eugene said, Matthew? Who's Matthew? She said, Eugene, it's, your, it's our son that we had together. Oh, really? Oh, okay. And that evening, he just seemed to start going into a, a fog. And the next morning, he was having chills on the bed, and he was vomiting, and he was shaking. And his fever got up to 105. She took him to the hospital, and they tried to figure out what was wrong. And finally, the doctor got the needle and slipped it between his vertebrae and extracted some cerebral spinal fluid. And typically, your cerebral spinal fluid is fairly clear. His was milky and cloudy and kind of gritty. He had developed viral encephalitis. Do you ever get a little cold sore, fever blister? maybe some sensitive issues with your skin, that's, that's a viral encephalitis. But sometimes it can get into the brain. And when it gets into the brain, it's devastating. It just eats brain tissue. And so they were able to get him on some serious um, antiviral medication, and his fever finally came down. But when he was done and they did a brain scan, they saw that there was this hole inside of the middle of his head. And his medial temporal lobe about five centimeters, was gone. This is the area of your brain that has to do with memory. And Eugene made a surprising recovery. He came back. He could walk. He could use the restroom. They were surprised. They thought he would be a vegetable the rest of his life. But, but he couldn't remember things. Like, oh, you're my son. He remembered his wife. He, he, could, he could remember back when he, he was at work, and he went to the doctor's office and they had this computer, kind of like mine. And he said, wow, look at this thing. It's amazing. Back when I was in working, we had computers like this. But he would take up an entire room. There would be shelves and shelves of it. And now look, it's just, it's so small. He could remember back then, but they would ask him, do you remember when you got this fever? Ah, he couldn't remember any of that. Every time he walked into a, a room, it was a new experience. And then he would walk out. And he would walk into the room again. And it was a brand new room. He could not remember anything. They would ask him, Eugene, do you know where the bathroom is? I have no idea where the bathroom is. Well, where do you go when you need to use the restroom? I don't know. And as they would keep talking to him, Eugene would get up, and he would walk, and he would go to the bathroom, wash his hands, come back out. Eugene, where were you? I don't know. Wow. He could, he could function, but he couldn't remember. Wow. Scientists began to study Eugene because they wanted to figure out what's going in the brain. How can he do these activities and yet he can't remember. They happened to move from the East Coast to the West Coast and while they were there, um, it was a brand new house and the doctor said, Eugene really needs to exercise. If he doesn't exercise, he's going to get more and more unhealthy. He needs to exercise. So so Beverly would take him out on walks and they would go walking around the neighborhood uh, every day. And then one day, She came in the living room, and Eugene wasn't there. She looked around the house. She was frantic. Eugene, if he's outside, he's going to be lost. He could be hit by a car. Who knows? She went to the house in the neighborhood that looked kind of like their house. It was pounding on the windows. Eugene, Eugene. She couldn't find him. She was frantic. She went home, and she called 911. And then as she was on the phone, she sees some pine cones on the table. Well, that's weird. And she looks in the living room, and Eugene's sitting in the chair. So she hangs up, and Eugene, where have you been? Oh, I don't know. What are the pine cones on the table? Oh, I don't know. But he had sap on his fingers. And it turns out that he had gone on the same walk they go on every day. Now, this is a brand new place. They had lived on the East Coast, and they moved to the West Coast. How did Eugene know how to do that loop and come back home? Well, it has to do with something in the very bottom part of your brain called the... Help me out. No the basal ganglia. The basal ganglia. That's where your habits are stored. Eugene's habits were still functioning. And scientists were so fascinated. And they began studying rats. And they put these little wires down in the head so they could see what's happening with the electrical current. And they set up this test. It was called the T-test for rats. So it looked like a big T, a big uh, big channel for the rats to go down and then a T on both ends. They could go to the left or they could go to the right. And on the left side they would place some chocolate. And so when the rats were on one side, they would open the, open the gate. It would open. The rats would be wow. This is really cool. And the little electrodes in the brain would just be going... Because the brain is just looking, but the rats are moving slow. And they're looking around. And the brain is busy, busy, busy. And they get to the end. They look to the left. They look to the right. They go to the right. Ah, nothing down here. They go to the left. Then they find the chocolate. Ah, oh, they're so excited. Wow. So then later, they take the rat and they do the same test. They put him in this end, Open the gate. He's oh, yeah, this kind of looks familiar. You know, the brain is and it goes around, and and over a period of time, the rat begins to learn that if it goes to the left, it will find the chocolate. It's always there, every time. Wow. But something interesting happens. This is fascinating. Over time, as the rat learns where the chocolate is, the brain activity decreases, it eventually goes to sleep. And the only thing that's functioning is the basal ganglia, the memory. Not the memory, the habits. The memory is. So the brain reduces its functioning, and habits are driving its actions. Fascinating. Not just muscle memory, it's in the brain. The habits were driving his actions. Now, this is really a good thing. Because if you had to functionally think through everything in life, your brain would get overloaded. Like the first time you drove a stick shift car. Wait a minute. Anybody knows how to drive a stick shift car? Oh, this is great. Even my daughter in the back. Yes, Michaela. She can drive a stick shift car. Her daddy taught her. So the first time I drove a stick shift car, my my stepdad got me in the car and we drove down the driveway. That was pretty easy. We got to the bottom. That wasn't too bad. We went up the hill. To the stop sign. You're tracking with me. The stop sign. Oh. So then, then I, had to take, I had to put my foot on my clutch. No problem. Then I had to take my foot off of the brake. I'm rolling backwards. Hit the brake again. Whoa. And then, you know, well, we got back down to the bottom of the hill, and I came back up, and then I kind of got it. Whew. Okay. The next day, as we pulled down the hill, no problem, bottom of the hill, up the top of the hill, a car pulls up behind me. Oh nightmare! So my stepdad reached over, grabbed the emergency brake, and held it while I did the little <laughs> clutch thing, and we went. It was his car, so. Uh, but over a period of time, I didn't even think about shifting anymore. It just happens naturally. You just do it because it shifted from the frontal lobe thinking brrr, to the basal ganglia. It became a habit. It was just something I did without thinking, and that's good. Our our brain is efficient like that. So it shifts over. So it's a non thinking uh, element in in our mind. So as we engage in any action repeatedly, our brain begins to shift. It's not the same as it was before. We begin to shift. How is it with you? When the Spirit of God comes to you, how do you respond? What happens in your brain? The first time conviction he's teaching you something new he's guiding you into truth he is convicting you he's trying to unite you with god's people how is it when you come up to that do you resist it one time two times three times at some point your brain activity shuts off it becomes a habit and you just resist god all the time every time It's the default mode. And as the Spirit spirit brings increasing conviction like Pharaoh, and, and the most he can do is take your life. He brings all that conviction, and you're resisting. In your mind, you have trained yourself not to listen to the Spirit anymore. It doesn't matter how loud the Spirit gets. Your default action is no. There are three ways to commit the unpardonable sin. Proverbs 29, verse 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Praise God. Um, Paul was brought before King Agrippa, and he was giving a defense of himself to King Agrippa. King King Agrippa was moved by what he said. Insofar he said, you almost persuade me, to become a christian to be almost saved is to be totally lost when my wife was pregnant she wasn't kind of pregnant she was pregnant cuz she was one of those ladies that's cute when she's pregnant there will be many people that will be lost because they were almost persuaded this is resisting the holy spirit this is committing This is the process of committing the unpardonable sin. Felix, Governor Felix. Now Paul reasoned with him about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And Felix was afraid. He was moved by this. And he said, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. It's really easy to put off the convicting spirit of God for another time. As far as we know, Felix never had another opportunity. When Paul spoke with him, that was the last time he had. Now, the Spirit is given to his people. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. And we have seen that the commandments are an expression of who God is. That God is love, and the commandments are an expression of love. We have distorted views about love. I mean, so many people have weird ideas. But God said... My commandments are love. If you love me, keep my commandments. It's an expression of who God is. And then he goes on. This is verse 15. Verse 16 he says, and. And. It's a continuation of the thought, right? If you love me, keep my commandments and. And I will pray the Father. And he will give you another helper. That he may abide with you forever. Praise the Lord. The Spirit is given to those who love Jesus and... Keep his commandments. Because the commandments are an expression of who God is. Next is given a description of ancient Israel as they met before God. Also you, son of man, speaking to Ezekiel, the children of your people still are talking against you by the walls and in the doors and in the houses and speak to one another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that comes forth from the Lord. Let's go hear the word of the Lord from Ezekiel. And they come unto you as the people comes. And they sit before you as my people and they hear your words and They hear your words, but they will not do them for with their mouth, they show much love, but their heart goes after their covetousness and lo, you are unto them as a very lovely song of one that has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument for they hear your words, but they do not do them. The Spirit was given to guide us into truth, to convict us of the sin in our life and the need of something better, Jesus, who will fill us with his righteousness. The Spirit was given to teach us, to comfort us, and to unite us. Has the Spirit convicted you of anything in your life? What happens when you resist it? You grieve the Spirit. I said this message was for every person in this room because we're all tempted. We all face temptations. How do you handle that? Has it become a habit that when the Spirit convicts you, you know what the Spirit's convicting power is? I feel bad about that. I shouldn't do that. We have these media devices, and on them, sin as an easy access. And there's conviction. One of my daughters, no one here, I have other daughters. She said, dad, I got so many problems in my life. I mean, so many. Like, where do I even start? So I asked, I said, is there, is there one thing that you know God is convicting you about? Well, Yeah. Well, start there. The Spirit is convicting you. I would ask you that same question. Is there one thing in your life that the Spirit has been convicting you about that you know is not right between you and Him? As many people as there are in this room, there are different temptations, that many. How is it with you? Are you resisting the Spirit? As you resist the Spirit, at some point, there will come a moment in your experience, there's nothing more God can say to you. Those who have reached that point no, because they don't care about God anymore. They're not interested in Him anymore. They're done. (coughs) What is God convicting you of in your life? I was in this waterfall, I was bent over, and I realized I'm toast. There's nothing I can do to get out of here. And beside me, my my leg was stuck in this rock, and and there was this huge rock, and and I kept trying to find something there that I could grab a hold of to kind of get out of this thing. And my hand just went up, and it was smooth, just smooth. Nothing, no ledge, no crack, nothing, all the way up. And as I got up about like this, I felt something. My hand came out of the water. I thought, ah, maybe they'll see my hand. Now, my two girls were outside on the rock. They had watched their silly daddy float down and disappear. And they kept waiting for him to come out, and he didn't. And they began to get concerned. And his two friends who were watching him thought, what? When is he going to come? He's playing a joke, (laughs) that guy. (laughs) And they waited. And I didn't come out. And one got down in the water and tried to swim up but the water was so powerful he could not even get near the bottom of it. It was too powerful. And then the other was trying to get from the top and see and eventually they saw my hand poke through the water. And then they climbed, Ah, they, oh, his hand! But, but my hand was only up there for just a moment because the force of the water and I'm just a skinny guy, it pushed me back down and I was just flopping in the water. And I thought oh, if I did it once can do it again, and maybe they'll see my hand. And I did it again. And it got pushed back down again. And they were waiting. I didn't know, but they were waiting. And the third time, I got my hand up there. I felt the best thing you could ever imagine. I felt a human hand grab mine with force. And they began to pull. And there sprang up in my heart hope. And they pulled, and I pulled, and they pulled, and I pulled, and eventually, you'll never believe it, but my head came above the water, and the sky was blue. The sun was shining. I heard birds singing, but I was still trapped. And they pulled, and I pulled, and the top of the rock was sloping, and, and they were hanging on, it, and, and they pulled, and I wiggled, and they pulled, and I wiggled, and, and eventually, I got up where my foot was trying to come out of the hole, but I had these... These Teva sandals that were like stuck. And every time they would pull, it would just would not come out and pull and they pulled and they, ah. and eventually they got tired and I got tired and I knew in my mind, I had given everything I had to get to this point. If I went back down in that hole, that's it. And if I fell over with my leg like this, it's just going to break and I'm going to be hanging upside down with a broken leg under the water. I'm done. And the worst feeling you can ever imagine as our hands began to slip apart. And I still remember the last second our fingers were touching. His fingers were curled, my fingers were curled. We were trying to hold on, but we had done everything we could. And our fingers slipped apart. And that hope was gone. I thought, this is it. The sun was shining, my girls were there crying. And as I was going back down, I don't know how it happened somehow the water twisted my body as I was falling and my foot popped out of the hole and I landed upside down in the water and I was just floating looking up saying praise God I'm alive for the next month I remember every single breath I took I was grateful for every Because God had given me life. Do you know what it took? I was in that situation. I could not have rescued myself ever. But I had to reach up. I had to reach up for someone to help me that wasn't in my predicament. Someone above me. And praise God there was someone there. There's a truth we've looked at tonight. That God's Spirit is given to help us. When you are faced with temptation, you have two choices. To reach up for help or to ignore that in your life. And eventually at some point you will either be free in Jesus or the Spirit will not be able to speak to you at all this is our last meeting number 19 we have done a deep dive into scripture this entire week god's word is deep would you agree he has powerful messages for us and there's different individuals in this room this evening some have heard these before I've heard it for a long time and life has somehow taken over the meaning of Jesus in your life and maybe there's some habits that have crept in and gradually ever so imperceptibly you are slipping away from your Savior so I'm going to do something that we haven't done all week um because I think it's a serious topic. But Jesus was nailed to a cross. Naked. And he was put up for all the world to see. Do you know why he's, he was there for you? Visible. Visible. In his shame. his death. Because he loved you. So if there's anyone here tonight. That has something in their life. Some habit that has crept in. Whether it's small or big. Any of those habits will harden your heart against the spirit of God. I'm going to invite you to do what Jesus did. Jesus publicly displayed his love for you. And I'm going to invite you to come right down here. I know there's grown people in this room and their eyes are open. But Jesus, as an individual that loved you, as God himself that loved you with an everlasting love, I'm going to invite you to come down here. This doesn't save you. But as a public demonstration of your commitment to give this habit to Jesus. You may be 105. Who's the youngest person in here? Matthias, or I'm going to guess eight years old, nine years old, ten, ten years old, oh my. Well, at least eight. There might be someone else younger. Maybe eight, nine, ten, or 110. If you have a habit, I just invite you to come down. There's no music playing. This is not an emotional appeal. There's something that you want to give to Jesus and in a public way, say, I want his power in my life. I invite you to come down. It's between you and him. I'm not going to ask you what it is. Um, You see, I'm the first one down here. I have a habit in my life. I want to give to Jesus. The spirit will not always strive with men. God gives us his spirit to convict us to lead us, and to guide us. And all we have to do is raise our hand. Say, Jesus, I need you. Amen. Amen. There's no pressure. If you don't feel a conviction, it's okay. Nobody's judging you. You don't have to get out of your chair. Amen. Father in heaven, you see those that are here, in their hearts, they know what this small or big habit is, and publicly, Lord, they have come forward, not ashamed, because Jesus wasn't ashamed. Lord, we don't want to resist your spirit. We want to have a soft heart before you always, moved by your spirit, guided by your spirit, empowered by your spirit. Lord, may your spirit continually strive with us that we might find help in time of need. We're convinced that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. We believe that Jesus is even at the doors. Lord, may we be ready for that day. May our faith become sight. As our Savior, the one who was crucified, comes as the King of glory to redeem us from this dark world. Lord, be with us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.